Hello and welcome to Going Viral. I am David Lim. Professor Christine McCartney addresses some of the nuts and bolts issues of the COVID-19 vaccination campaign at the GP level. Our role and support in this campaign can make it an outstanding success. It is one of the crucial steps we have to take to get out of this pandemic. Professor McCartney, can you tell us about yourself? Oh, hello, David. Uh, my name is Christine, and I am an infectious disease specialist and paediatrician, uh, but I'm also a vaccinologist and have worked for over 25 years uh, with vaccines. My current role is as the director of Australia's National Centre for Immunisation Research mm -hmm. and Surveillance. And in that role, uh, I've been very much embedded in preparing for the vaccine rollout uh, in here in Australia, as well as um, working in the region and more widely on, on uh, COVID vaccine programs. Thank you, uh, Professor McCartney. Now, this is probably the most important public health uh, program we've had in a very long time, if not ever. And not only has a lot of time and money been invested, but clearly how we're going to function as a society as well. So in many ways, this vaccination campaign has to work. It has to succeed. I am aware there are, of course, many moving parts and many parties involved. And I'm very keen to get your help to make sure that all the parties, at least the GPs and our patients, uh, know what to expect and what to do so that we can facilitate uh, this campaign. Now, to do this, I might start off by looking at what we don't have to do, which is the Pfizer vaccines that are being given in hospitals. How is that going? And what should GPs be aware of when our patients come back to us who've had a Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine? Yeah, thanks, um, David. Look, you're absolutely right. There's so many moving parts, but I think at every step of the way, we, we want to ensure that this is a smooth journey um, for people, that the confidence is maintained in all parts of the healthcare system. And I think actually, um, you know, we have delivered incredible um, results so far in the pandemic and, and general practice, um, primary care more broadly has been integral in doing this. So I have every confidence that this is going to go very well. You're right, we, we have to do well um, because it is our ticket out of the pandemic. So firstly, with the Pfizer hubs, um, this is of course an mRNA vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine. And at the present time, it needs this ultra cold storage. So minus 70 degrees and can only be kept at refrigerated temperatures for a few days. There's a lot of logistics in the freezing and thawing. So that vaccine is being delivered by these um, hubs. I think we're at day two of the vaccine campaign as I'm speaking with you, but um, of course there's around 16 of these hubs now. They, the numbers will increase as supply of the Pfizer vaccine increases. Uh, we know that um, as patients come through these hubs and are vaccinated, they'll be given important information about um, expected side effects from the vaccine. We know that um, many of them will be enrolled in an active surveillance system for vaccine safety monitoring called Ausvac Safety that I have to confess, we do um, run with government funding out of uh, the National Centre here. And that's some um, really important uh, aspect of sort of having patients vaccinated 
people in the first phase be able to give their feedback on the safety of vaccine. What GPs, I think, should know, even if they're not giving the Pfizer vaccine, is you know, quite a bit of the detail around um, how, it, how it performs, um, you know, what sort of uh, efficacy effectiveness there is. And of course, we know that that's high, over 90%, um, probably around you know, 95% even. But by the same token, that means when we're talking to patients, we have to say, you shouldn't drop your guard. You still need COVID safe practices. Um, particularly when so few people are, are um, vaccinated at this time. And it, you shouldn't assume that you can't be infected with COVID-19 because like any other um, medicine or vaccine, nothing is 100% effective. On the safety side, the safety profile for Pfizer is really well characterised. There's definitely um, around 80% of people who get injection site pain, um, not so many have tenderness and very few actually have swelling or redness at the injection site. And then for the short-term systemic effects, low-grade fever, headache, myalgia, and actually chills. So about one in five people will actually get a chill with their um, low-grade fever. But importantly, these are generally characterised as mild uh, effects by, by participants and they usually start within the first day of vaccination and only last a day. So pretty much by, by day two, three, those side effects are, are waning or gone. People are not getting respiratory symptoms from the vaccine. I can't emphasize that enough. So that if someone actually has a cough, cold or runny nose um, and they got the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine or the AstraZeneca vaccine the day before, um, they shouldn't put that down to the vaccine. That's actually probably a viral infection and they should be tested for COVID-19. Mm. And um, similarly, we didn't really see an imbalance in vomiting or diarrhea between the trial participants and the um, you know, vaccinated and control participants in the trial. And so we wouldn't expect that that would be a, a short-term effect of the vaccines in that first day or two. So in summary, I think, you know, getting to know the profile of the vaccines, even though mm -hmm. uh, a GP may not be giving it through one of those hubs, will be very important. I suspect that there will be a very low rate of anaphylaxis, but if it occurs, uh, will the GP be informed? Look, I think the, the rate of anaphylaxis for the Pfizer vaccine is currently tracking in the United States, where they have given uh, around, I think, 100 million doses now, is currently tracking, actually, I think the data was on a slightly fewer number of doses than that, but it's around two, one in um, 200,000. So about five per million doses having being associated with anaphylaxis for the Pfizer vaccine. For the AstraZeneca vaccine, we think that rate's probably a little bit lower. And there is some data from the UK, which uh, is quite, not quite as detailed at this stage as from the US. So typically occurs within 15 minutes, about 90% of cases within 30 minutes, and you know, is obviously readily treated with adrenaline. I think it is very important if um, obviously as part of routine screening procedures for any vaccine that would be given in, in general practice, uh, you, would, you would always ask, have you um, had any side effects from a vaccine before? And you know, to prompt patients to report something such as um, anaphylaxis. Obviously, if that was to a COVID vaccine dose, you know, even though you may not be giving it in general practice, it's still worth recording in the record. Moving away from the specialised hubs, we're going to come to um, pharmacists and general practices. Um, Christine, the, the point is that not all GPs will be giving these vaccines, so I'm going to dis differentiate those practices and focus on those who will be giving 
the vaccinations. So two things. First, what sorts of things are must-haves within the practice in terms of procedures and equipment? And number two is what sorts of conversations should be happening now uh, between the doctors and the patients? Yeah, look, I think they're both excellent questions. And so firstly, I would say that um, obviously this is a very different type of rollout to the usual um, national immunisation program vaccines. And as we know, those pra practices that it will be selected through the EOI process that the Commonwealth is leading, I think we'll get a lot of information from the um, Commonwealth um, COVID-19 vaccination task force. And they, I mean, anyone I think can do the training, but they will be um, obviously required to um, fulfill a number of criteria to um, act as those vaccination centres. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of checklists around, around all the things that they need to conduct um, and have in place. So it will, of course, cover things like, um, you know, uh, clear preparation to manage adverse effects, um, the, all the appropriate cold uh, chain and, um, and other associated, you know, uh, infrastructure for the, for the clinic mm -hmm. setting. Um, absolutely, the documentation and um, surety that they are uploading vaccine doses to the Australian Immunisation Register because we know that is now mandatory mm -hmm. for that recording of data in the register and it is imperative that we do that both for the individual patient care perspective for their um, healthcare providers benefit and indeed for public health to be able to assess how, how the programs are tracking along. Mm -hmm. So all of these um, things and others will be part of what practices are prompted to have in place by the by the Commonwealth um, program and um, the training is is certainly already available online some aspects of the training um, the clinical guidance for the AstraZeneca vaccine which was only registered uh, a little over um, a week ago now the ATAGI Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunization Clinical Guidance should be published very soon it, it is of course available for the Pfizer vaccine but it will be available for the AstraZeneca vaccine and GPs should definitely familiarise themselves with that guidance. There's also coming out now a number of um, uh, decision-making guides that really sit to support uh, the overarching clinical recommendations. And so this is in the area of things like pregnancy, um, patients who are either immunocompromised or have uh, autoimmune conditions, frail older patients with a focus on those in aged care facilities, but also um, those who um, may be in the community. And indeed, um, we're, we're currently also working on a palliative um, care patient, you know, vaccination decision-making guide as well. So I think as with any large program, it will be GPs familiarising themselves with all those sorts of resources. And um, then I think just, just training, you know, doing, and general practice knows this much, uh, you know, incredibly well, but just getting, doing dry runs, you know, mm -hmm. having, having some conversations with people, um, getting, getting the equipment all set up, thinking about what might go wrong and being ready to, uh, to respond if it does. I think the dry run is so critical. Um, it's because you don't want to be kind of fumbling on day one. Uh, you don't need to look like um, you are just learning the ropes with the patient in front of you. So getting to know the guides that exists, read them, have your equipment ready, make sure you can upload your data, that's critical, uh, get your cold chain right, and just set up your equipment and do dry runs. 
And David, if I could do two other things, they're, they're really in the before and the aftercare side of things. So before vaccination, I, I cannot emphasise how much we wish to place, you know, the, the imperative on screening. So mm -hmm. it's to have a, and this is actually for every single vaccine, to have a screening checklist for your patients who are going to receive a vaccine. You know, understand if they are pregnant, if they are immunocompromised, if they've just been on in hospital, maybe they're on a, you know, weaning dose of steroids because they've just mm. re been recently treated for something and, and you haven't received the discharge summary yet. Mm. Really mm. important to know about before you've, um, you know, you've mm. get offered them a vaccine. And within that screening tool, part of that screening must be to check on the Australian Immunisation Register. And I realise in the, in the practice that means having another screen open, it means having the register available there, whether it's your practice nurse or um, the GP themselves who checks on the register. But of course, we must know if the patient might have already received um, a vaccine at another hub. And, and sometimes I know our patients may not tell us that. In fact, are they coming for the second dose, but you think they're coming for the first? <laughs> you know, the, this is really important to be checking the Australian Immunisation Register before you vaccinate. Mm -hmm. obviously making sure you enter the data afterwards and then with the aftercare and again I general practice does this extraordinarily well about telling patients what to look out for when they're leaving the clinic but please do sign up as a practice to the active vaccine safety surveillance system that um, Australia is has embedded it's been started by a wonderful general practitioner, um, Dr. Alan Lieb in Western Australia, using the SmartVax tool. And that SmartVax tool contributes data along with another, another um, system called VaxTracker into this overarching Ausvax safety system. I will put a plug that GPs who are um, going to elect to be COVID vaccine distributors, um, at, you know, administering sites, will be hopefully um, contacted by our system to um, see if they can link to SmartVax. It takes about 15 minutes, fully automated, de-identified data, and your patient gets an SMS survey on day three and day eight about vaccine side effects, and, and the data gets fed back to you in the practice. So a great way to help follow up your patients as well, above and beyond usual practice. Absolutely wonderful. I never even thought about the fact that if I don't check with the immunization register that the patient may sometimes want to inadvertently or uh, wanting to get a second dose ahead of others turn up. So thank you for that. That's really helpful. One, one other thing to mention on that, of course, is the question around, um, I guess, what we might call our own immunization passport or record on our phone. And I think we'll see, we'll hear more from this from the government as the rollout and general practice and pharmacy becomes uh, closer to reality, I think, you know, early, early March. But I, I do believe that, you know, right now you can have the MyGov app on your phone. And um, if you're, if you have the Australian Immunisation Register linked into your MyGov app and your MyGov data, um, it's quite easy to pull up your, your own personal immunisation record on your phone. And of course, the other way to do do it in the in the waiting room is to have your you know your staff in the waiting room with the patient go through to get the patient to log on to MyGov and just pull up their record that way if 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 that doesn't take too long. But you know, many ways to get into the detail there, but mm. very important, really important step. Christine, we we we're looking at how we can get ourselves ready and not forget those critical things that we have to set up before we get going. 
Now, I did mention that, uh, that we have a plethora of patients with differing views about the vaccines, most very excited, some neutral, and some muted, if not in, uh, concerned. So what sorts of conversations should be happening uh, in the general practice? I think it's a great question, David. And, and you know, again, I, I think here general practice plays such a pivotal role. I mean, every time I'm on the radio, I talk about seeking trusted information on the vaccines, mm. talk to your GP. So, again, a, a great plug for, for general practitioners to really avail themselves um, with a lot of what is a, a, you know, a great volume of education that's coming out there. But I would also say, be sure to use those trusted sources yourself as a, as a primary you know, care provider. Um, I'll put a plug in for our own website. We've got a very detailed um, frequently asked questions section there. And we would really love to hear at NCIRS from any general practitioners who would like those questions to be added to. The Commonwealth COVID-19 vaccine website has a lot of materials on it. And importantly, it also has um, materials that are available for you to use with patients or point patients to that are in now many different languages. We've seen SBS come out with materials in many different languages. I think, you know, there's been so much discussion and dialogue around the, around the vaccines. And, you know, there, there will undoubtedly be at any given time, probably top three or five questions which people are, are asking. And I mean, I've heard many different ones, you know, will Will, um, will I get a choice of the vaccine? Mm. The answer, no. You know, will I, um, mm. AstraZeneca vaccine stop me from passing the virus on to others? Well, no, but you can't say that the Pfizer vaccine will either. So no vaccine mm. will. You've still got to be careful at this stage. You know, people asking whether they'll be able to, to travel and, um, and many of these other questions. Definitely, you know, a lot of questions around safety. So I think for general practitioners to really get a, get a, a comfort level across those those questions mm -hmm. but then they'll they'll you know be be needing to um i think also approach some patients as you alluded to with a with a strong listening ear as as you know many gps to to help them in that decision making process already already do so well with their patients and i i know um, from my colleagues such as professor julie least that it's very important to you know take a non-judgmental stance not to, not to immediately use that writing reflex to say you should have the vaccine, but mm. to really try and, um, and understand what, why someone has the feelings uh, that they may not wish to have the vaccine, what questions they have, what are their main concerns, ask if they're, they're not immediately still comfortable to make a decision, if they'd like to continue to engage around making a decision. I would encourage these sorts of conversations for all practices mm -hmm. that are intending to be vaccination centres or for, for practices that are intending to refer their patients to a nearby vaccination centre to, um, to, to, to really encourage people to get on board. I mean, there will be a booking system as well. I expect that will be that you have a patient booked in for the day and they're, they're probably going to not have as many questions. But I think it's those who don't book in who we have to um, support through the through a general practice in particular. Mm -hmm. Now, Christine, one of the things I have put before you is that we're coming to that time of the year when uh, our patients, particularly the older ones, are gonna have quite a lot of shots. And how do we ensure that the regular GP business of giving regular uh, vaccinations 
go well and are done and done well in terms of timing with the COVID vaccination as well. It's a great question, David, and it is going to be a challenging year because we will be rolling out COVID-19 vaccine through general practice, as well as trying to fit in, particularly for that older um, group of people, influenza vaccine, uh, perhaps a shingles vaccine, the, the um, Zostavax vaccine, if they haven't yet received a dose, Mm -hmm. And indeed, following the new pneumococcal vaccine recommendations, um, whereby, uh, you know, patients, certainly those um, over 70 should now be getting a dose of the um, Prevnar 13 vaccine if they haven't received one before. So um, remember that change just, um, you know, occurred last year. And so we've got, we've got um, uh, that change to accommodate as well. I think the other important thing to note and this is a very sombre note from my point of view, but the TGA have issued an alert on Zostavax yet again, because we have now unfortunately seen three instances where the vaccine has been associated with the death of an older person due mm -hmm. to live Zostavax vaccine virus replicating in, in that person. Now, in two of those cases, the vaccine was given to a person who was contraindicated to receive it. They were clearly very immunocompromised. And unfortunately, in one of those cases, that was not that had not been very clear. And, I, and that, I believe, would have been improved through a better screening process, which is why my emphasis to every practitioner is to screen, screen, screen. In, in what, the third instance, the, the patient, uh, you know, was mildly immunocompromised, but perhaps you know, we don't know the full story there. And so the chief medical officer shortly before Christmas issued an alert about screening for immunocompromised and being sure that if you are in doubt, don't vaccinate, mm -hmm. but reach out to a specialist immunisation service in your state or territory. And I would put a plug here um, for the service that's led out of um, the National Centre um, by Associate Professor Nick Wood called in Swiss, so that's New South Wales Immunisation Specialist Service. It's one eight hundred in Swiss, and um, whilst of course GPs may access their local public health unit for questions, they can also access that number um, during office hours for questions. So, how? So, your question is how to fit in flu, um, Zostavax where appropriate, and um, pneumococcal vaccine, particularly the new Prevnar thirteen where appropriate, and COVID nineteen two-dose mm. vaccination schedule. Mm. Pretty complicated and particularly for, you know, for our older um, residents. Firstly, let's talk about AstraZeneca. Now, I think the, uh, the Prime Minister or Health Minister has messaged around the fact that we will be recommending a, an interval of a, around 12 weeks mm -hmm. for that vaccine. There is an optional range for the, the interval between the two doses of um, four, to, four to 12 weeks. And it certainly is possible to um, administer the vaccine as close as four weeks if you, if you must do that, but 12 weeks is preferable or, you know, closer to 12 weeks. So, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter whether it's 11 weeks. Um, it doesn't probably matter if it's 12 and a half weeks. But, mm -hmm. but you know, for the, for the um, sites that will be scheduling that vaccine, the other important thing is that at this stage, and I do emphasise at this stage in February, we are recommending that there is two weeks between a dose of either of the COVID vaccines, so either Pfizer or AstraZeneca, mm -hmm. and any other vaccine. So again, coming back to screening, 
just say you're not a COVID vaccine GP, but you do intend to give the other vaccines, well, you'll be needing when that patient books in to know that they haven't got an appointment time, you know, two weeks either side of their planned visit mm. with you for vaccines that they will be actually having a COVID vaccine. So that will be uh, quite a bit of management, I think, with that individual mm. patient or their carer and, and with the general practice. I might just come back quickly to the Zostavax, only to mention that uh, sometimes it's easy to know the absolute contraindications. Uh, patients on immunosuppressors, steroids, immuno immunomodulators, and sometimes the immunosuppression is relative, aged, um, diabetes. So when should GPs start knowing that there is in fact no need to cross into the no man's zone, if you like, and take unnecessary risks. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, coming back up, I think, you know, the, the vaccine still, you know, it, it offers good protection against shingles. And, you know, by and large, most people tolerate the vaccine extraordinarily well. So I think in people with chronic medical conditions like, you know, diabetes, they may, they may be older people, um, who have a lot of other um, comorbid chronic conditions, generally the vaccine's tolerated very well and there mm -hmm. are no issues. It's really mm -hmm. those who have, you know, have had any recent form of sort of cancer, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, mm -hmm. um, blood, blood dyscrasia, blood malignancy, you know, um, patients with um, CML, even if they're not being treated. I mean, chronic myeloid leukaemia is actually relatively common um, and and it's but even if they're not being treated, that does still mean they're relatively immunocompromised. Mm -hmm. um, patients who are, are on immuno immunomodulatory therapies or have an autoimmune disease, which they're giving, you know, being given some immunosuppression. If you're not certain, check with their specialist. Um, go back, check the guidance. Check with you know um, N Swiss or the specialist service in your your state or territory. And just don't vaccinate them that day. But, you know, be a bit more confident. We're, we're, we are actually recommending more caution. The other thing that is possible to do, and it's not necessary in many patients at all, but if you are uncertain and you and the, you know, you've reviewed the record and you think you'd still like some better certainty, another option is to just screen them from a serologic point of view to see that they've got antibody to varicella zostavirus. They would have, you know, been infected as a child and had chicken pox mm -hmm. even if they don't remember because we're actually not seeking to give them the first ever exposure to the virus. We're actually seeking to boost their pre-existing yeah. immunity. And in fact, if they don't have pre-existing immunity and you think they could be mildly immunocompromised, you probably don't want to try the vaccine on that particular person. So yeah. there is new guidance in the Australian Immunisation Handbook about how to approach that situation. But yeah. we are asking general practitioners to, to show more caution because of the events that have occurred. And I think, you know, it, it does come down to the very important role that, um, you know, in, a, in a, that benefit risk assessment that GPs need to play. Now, thank you for clearing that issue up. So coming back now to uh, the next phase, um, Christine, what are your expectations, hopes, and where are the areas of concern you might have so that we can be just as watchful as you are? Well, I think I, I don't. I don't have too many areas of concern, really. Um, I, I think that you know we we have extraordinary capability and capacity in our primary care systems, but I do think the scheduling of these different vaccines is going to be somewhat challenging. 
I would flag that, you know, there are there may be some changes on the horizon. We're, we're being quite precautionary with that 14-day spacing mm -hmm. now. It's not um, black and white. If, if you need to shorten that spacing a little, I, I, I don't think that's at all unreasonable. You know, I think that, um, mm -hmm. again, that's um, clinical decision-making category. Mm -hmm. I, I, the main reason for having the 14-day spacing is so that we don't have an overlap of expected side effects from one vaccine with the okay. other. So that the story there would be is if you've just had a, a patient with a COVID vaccine and then, you know, they're day two and they, they may still that feel that they've got quite a sore arm, they've got muscle mm -hmm. aches, et cetera, whilst they're expected to go away, if you gave them a flu vaccine, two days after that COVID vaccine, they're probably going to get another sore arm and feel a few more muscle aches. And then they may feel quite a bit worse for quite a few days. We don't want them to feel that way because that may decrease their confidence in being vaccinated. And we don't really know if that's got any serious harm or could, have, could interfere with the immune response, for example. So we just want to separate those vaccines um, a little bit more. In the UK, they're recommending sort of at least seven days. So it may be that mm. we can we can look at that over time. Um, the other um, part of things is just, I think, being understanding with patients that they will have to book in through what I think will be for, in some cases two different systems, needing to go to a different practitioner for their for their COVID vaccine, perhaps in their usual pr practitioner or perhaps not. Uh, I, I would think uh, as a GP that the harder job would be to ensure that every patient given the first jab gets the second. Look, absolutely, David, you hit it on the head there. And I think we know in some other cases where we look at uh, two-dose completion, say in the school system for something like HPV vaccine, which is very different, but we know mm. we drop down about 10 percentage points. Mm. Um, you know, so coverage may be around 85% down to 75% for the second dose. What are your systems in primary care for that? What are your systems um, as a COVID uh, vaccine you know, deliverer, uh, do you have a recall reminder system? Mm -hmm. These things are really, really important. Um, again, I think booking patients in when they're leaving the surgery. Um, the, the other thing I think is just really doing a, a great job of, of aftercare with patients. And I think this can make a real difference. I know that, um, you know, when I get that call from my GP after I've been for my checkup and I get my results back and I don't have to call a surgery. I, I just personally love that. So, you know, perhaps it is just a time to pull out those extra special stops to, mm -hmm. to, to maintain community confidence. I know I've already given a plug um, for en enrolling your practice in, with the SmartVac system. So the data contributes to the active OzVac safety. Um, similarly for Zoster, I think an important part of um, the aftercare of patients who do get that Zoster vaccine will be to ensure you provide them with information about what they should do if they got a rash, that they need to mm -hmm. be reviewed very promptly. And, um, you know, you're aware of, of any red flags there for someone who might two or three weeks later develop a rash after getting the shingles vaccine, because that can be quite a serious sign. Um, so, you know, and knowing what to do, that they might need antivirals or, or um, uh, other sort of investigation. So, again, I think that aftercare and follow-up for that second dose, as you mentioned, are going to be very important. Yes, I just feel that sometimes uh, SMS messages work so well, uh, but a personal call works that much better. Exactly. And, and, and every effort made can pay off, I think. I mm. think also, um, you know, how can we see families, for example? I mean, it'll be interesting once the, the booking system opens up as to how 
far ahead people and family members can book, all of mm. those adults, you know. Um, maybe there are innovative approaches that we'll see come forward in, in, in general practice about um, bringing, bringing along the adult family members, have a, mm. have a family reunion at the, at the vaccine hub, you know. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I don't know, but it'll be great to see uh, what, what innovative approaches mm. come out of general practice. Yes, then I get a balloon as well. <laughs> now, Christine, that was a really helpful uh, interview with you. I'm, look, I'm very mindful you mentioned some very helpful resources. Is it possible to have the links sent and we will attach those links to your podcasts so that GPs can have them? Yeah, look, for sure. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of Commonwealth materials. And I know, I, th- I think the, the, those centres that act as vaccine sites for AstraZeneca, mm-hmm. they will be they will be given a lot of material. I, I really mm-hmm. know they will be. I think it might, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. I'm so glad you asked from the perspective of the the non-AstraZeneca giving practices because, you know, I I think it's going to be an interesting journey, patient journey for where people where people go and how they go. You know, I'd, I'd hate to see us getting behind on the, the flu vaccine delivery. I, I guess there's a possibility that we could and we may need to look at strategies uh, mm. To deliver higher volumes of flu vaccine more quickly. I, in that regard, I think it's important that we have pharmacists as well as vaccine, you know, outlets as well. And mm-hmm. of course, ensuring all the while that those pharmacies are entirely um, appropriately equipped to to give vaccines um, to the highest quality standards that have been um, implemented in general practice, for example, over many years. Christine. Any final messages to the GPs? Oh, look, I think that, you know, general practice in this country is of an extraordinarily high standard. And I think that, um, you know, the success of the National Immunisation Program mm-hmm. is is absolutely down to, um, uh, you know, there's, there's many people who contribute, but general practice is, an, is a fundamental um, pillar in the success of that program. And I, I just think that uh, GPs can can take us, you know, from what might be 50 or so percent coverage, you know, GPs could make this 80 or 90 percent coverage. I really think that um, the practice nurses, um, all of those who message out of primary care around these vaccines have such a powerful trusted voice and I think will we'll get us to where we need to be. I think the other thing, just a final minute, would be to say that the feedback loop I think is really important. So just on that Aussvac safety side, we're, we're, we're about to go and do some media on that right now. But I think, you know, knowing that we can get that data to GPs to see their own data and, and obviously mm-hmm. coverage estimates to GPs, uh, you know, this is what um, I know general practice will, will want and, and hopefully they can see really clear progress as the program, you know, goes, rolls out. I'm so glad to became part of, be part of this program. So I'll wish you well and uh, maybe we will speak again. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for your encouragement and thank you for giving us little tips along the way. I wish you a very good day and thank you for your time, Christine. Pleasure to be involved today, David, and and thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that Health Ed has put together for you. 
HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthed.com.au.